Welcome to the New Books Network. And here we are with another edition of our children's literature podcast for the National, for the National, the New Books Network. Hi, I should do that again. We'll start again. Okay. Hi, I'm Mel Rosenberg, the host of the Children's Literature Channel for the New Books Network. I got it right. And I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little, um, I don't know, there's a word nonplussed, but I'm plussed because I'm here with two wonderful uh, ladies uh, who have written books on the same theme. And uh, we're going to be celebrating Michal Babai's new book, which is called Michal? The Incredible Shrinking Lunchroom. Which is coming out in? It comes out July 25th, and it's illustrated by the late, great Paula Cohen. Okay. And was that the last book she illustrated? Uh, unfortunately, yes. She had just finished her own debut author-illustrator book, and then she illustrated mine, and then she unexpectedly passed away. So, yes. So we're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll dedicate this interview to her. Fantastic. And, um, and your book is uh, published by? Charles Bridge. And your agent is? Laurel Simons is my agent, and my editor was Yolanda Scott. And also, uh, we had a new woman who came and joined us as well, who's fantastic, Alexandra McKenzie. Okay. And your story, The Incredible Shrinking Lunchroom, is uh, based on an old uh, Jewish folktale, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, I'm not really sure. I mean, we take credit for it, but I'm not sure there isn't some antecedent you know, in the Middle Ages or uh, the Ice Age of people telling similar stories. But it's such a good story. Uh, so if we Jews want to take credit for it, who's to stop us? And uh, yeah. And um, and I also have Karen Rostocker-Guber, uh, who wrote another lovely story published only two years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one is called? So this is called A Crowded Farmhouse Folktale. And it came out in the middle of a pandemic, yay, in October 2020. And it's published by Albert Whitman and illustrated by the amazing Christina Swarner. And edited, ah, and edited by Andrea Hall, who used to be at Albert Whitman, but now she's at Theming Books. Andrea Hall also edited my book at at Albert Whitman, my uh, Chewy book. I I love her, yeah. So all, all I have to do to get edited is write a book on the same story. And find Andrea. Yeah, which I'm which I'm going to do as, as soon as we get off the phone. <laughs> do it, Mel. So, do it. We can never have too many. Yes, right. uh, it'll have something to do with bad breath. Um, okay. Uh, so 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 Karen, uh, it's uh, great to have you on. Also, and your agent is. I had an agent. Now I don't have an agent. So. Okay, but did an agent sell the book? So the, so the agent was Karen Gorenzik. I love Karen Gorenzik. She's from Red Fox Literary. She has a very nice name. Yeah, that's fine. And also she um, sold this book for me, Happy Birthday Trees, when she was my agent. But this is my 16th book, and she sold these two for me. Okay, great, Karen. And Michal, Michal, uh, this book is your? Oh, this is my second. I do not have the longevity yet of Karen, but, you know, it's a great idol to have one day, hopefully. This is my second, and I have a third one coming out with um, Charles Bridge, next summer so you call that short jeopardy but short-jevity. um but michal actually 
um, you are a one in a million zillion because 99.9% of authors never get a book deal with a traditional publishing house. Mm -hmm. And oh, you're, on, you're, you're on your third. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So That's what uh, my kids keep reminding me. And, 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 and they should. I mean, you know, yeah. nobody else is going to remind us how amazing we are. <laughs> and e even the kids usually don't. Right. That's a good thing. And our spouses couldn't be bothered. So there you go. <laughs> That's true, too. <laughs> okay. Listen, this, this is a podcast for NBN. Oh, so although, wait. Although, wait. One my second, Karen. I have wait, to call. My... Yes. Yes, Karen. Yes, Karen. <laughs> my spouse does my book contracts. So. Oh, so he's bothered. Yeah. He can be bothered. <laughs> I was being facetious. My wife is wonderful. She's watching, so hey. Um, also, my husband, Bye. love you. I know his wife. <laughs> All right, keep going now, Thank Mel. You. Thank you, doll. Listen, we have to be serious. This is an NBN podcast about children's literature, and I'm the host. Okay, so we're gonna, not going to monkey around for like three seconds. Um, so, uh, Michal, yes. uh, tell us about your life and uh, your career and how you got to be where you are. My life? Wow. Um, I was born in Israel, actually, and then moved to Tucson, Arizona as a kid because my dad was a professor at the University of Arizona. So I was raised in the desert. You know what they say, Jews love to be in the desert. Uh, and then I went to college in San Diego, married my college sweetheart, and we live in Southern California now. I have three kids. Three, well, they're not kids, excuse me. They would all kill me for saying that. They're all teenagers now and lots of opinions. And um, we, I, I was a teacher for years, an elementary school teacher, and I always wanted to become a writer. So in 2015, I started writing picture books. Hmm. This actually, this was my very first story that I wrote in 2015. It's gone through a number of revisions, obviously, um, but I was teaching, so I wrote about a school. And then my older daughter has celiac disease. She, she got very, very sick in 2017, 2018. I had to stop teaching to take care of her. And then she had a life-threatening depression because of it. So I lost 2018. And when that year ended, um, 2019, I was like, that's it. I'm serious about writing. I'm serious about my career now. She's healthy. It's time to dive in. And that's when I actually... Um, went to a conference, an SCBWI conference, and I did a paid critique with Yolanda Scott. And this was the manuscript that I had her critique and she liked it. And as we were leaving, I said, you know, we had the opportunity to submit. Would this be something I should submit to you? And she's like, yeah, actually, I think I might be interested. So that's how that started. And then I got the agent in 2019. Laurel signed on with me. Incredible. Yeah, it was great. It was great. So very lucky and very talented. Can I uh, thank you? I mean, I hope so, but you never know. Yes. Uh, okay. Okay, Karen. Yes. Yes. Dear. Yes. Um, did you get Yolanda at the same conference as? Yeah, Yolanda was actually the in 2019 at the SCBWI conference. She's the woman, the editor who. No, I mean the agent. Did you get? I'm sorry. Did you get the agent on the same conference as as you? Oh heard? no. So no, I actually ended up um, querying Laurel. I would never, ever suggest to do this, but this was my fourth query to her because she had mm -hmm. been interested in this story originally. This was the original one she was interested in. And then I sent her some other stories because she asked to see more. And she said, thank you, but no, thank you. And I thought, okay, great. I'm sending you more stuff. 
<laughs> then I queried her again and she said, really, no, thank you, but no, thank you. So I was like, okay, one more time, because I really like you. I really think we'd be a good match. And then again, thank you, but no, thank you. At that point, I'm like, I really got to just shut up now. Stop, leave her alone. There's plenty of other agents. So I did my own thing. And then once um, August 2019 happened and Yolanda made an offer on, Charles Bridge made an offer on this book, then I sent it out to all the other agents that I had the query with. And I had also had uh, my gluten sniffing service dog out being queried at the same time. So I said, you know what? Laurel really liked my stuff. Why not? What do I have to lose? She'll say no and I'll leave her alone forever, poor woman. And she actually was like, you know, what? I really like your stuff. I've had a folder on you since you started querying. She said, yes. So, yeah. so, um, so I, I guess that uh, one of the take-home messages is that sometimes it's okay to be a nudnik. <laughs> it is a very polite and respectful nudnik. If there is such a thing. Yeah. But yeah. That, that, that's incredible. So and, but like when you were a five-year-old, what were you like? When did you start aspiring to becoming a writer? I always loved writing. I used to write haikus for everybody for their birthday presents. So, you know, or uh, limericks. I would love limericks. I'd be like, there once was a girl from Tucson and, you know, just go from there. Can't think of any rhymes right now, but they were not good. Okay. But there once was yeah. a girl named Babai. Yeah, exactly. I can't who's, do it on the spot, Belle. Who spent, who spent her college years getting. No. Uh, this good, is good, supposed to be a good, good show. Good grades. No, you didn't let me. Hi, hi. Yeah, why, why? Yeah, I got nothing what, for you. What were you thinking? So um, so you were writing for a young age. Now, I have this question. Karen knows it. I ask everybody. Hmm. Um, do you write for the five-year-old you, Michal? So my kids will tell you I am kind of, I would say, a six or seven-year-old in general. So I'm not really writing for the five-year-old me. I just sort of am <laughs> a five-year-old me which is why when we go out my 14-year-old be like mom don't sing don't make up your rhymes don't embarrass me pretend to be an adult <laughs> so I, I, based based on my two previous uh, interviews with karen and her yeah. and her uh, uh dummies uh i would say that you are in good company today yeah. fantastic that's why we had the same inkling on which story to write that's right absolutely but this is your second book Mine? Yes, correct. And your first book is called, and you want to show it for a minute? I would love to, but I left it in the other room. I will let Karen talk. I can go get it. But the other one is called, um, I'm a gluten-sniffing service dog. A gluten-service sniffing dog. Glu well, you know what, Karen? I'm going to take myself I'm off a gluten, and I'll go get the book. Yeah, I'm a gluten-sniffing service I'm a gluten-sniffing service dog. I'm a sniffing, gluten-serving dog. <laughs> gluten-sniffing service dog it is actually based on our true uh poodle service dog for my daughter with celiac disease oh, because she's she was getting so sick and she was in and out of hospitals and I, she was on steroids to calm down her stomach which you know you can't do for a celiac but because she was constantly sick um it was a last ditch effort it was truly the last 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 thing that we could do for her uh, to calm her down. I said, after that, that she ended up in hospitals. I said, no more. I really don't want her on any medication and gluten is everywhere. And she was such a sensitive celiac. Um, mm -hmm. So I researched service dogs for people who have celiac. And I found um, Jillian Skelke with Creating New Tales. 
and she herself has Crohn's and is gluten-free and has trained her dogs. And that's, that's what she does. She trains dogs for diabetes and celiac and allergen detection and anything. So she trained our poodle, Chewy. I mean, she, you know, Chewy was a service dog. She trained him. And then I ended up writing a book about it once Alina was healthy and I was able to like, you know, come back to the normal world. Okay. So maybe we'll have time to talk about how you sold that one. Absolutely. Whenever you want. One sentence, because... You, oh. just told, you just told us how you got into writing. <laughs> um, that one was actually... Oh, sorry, Mel. And, uh, because that, that one was an easier sell. You, you have to apologize to everybody who's listening because it's unclear now. Okay, this is still Michal Babe. Okay. Talking about the I'm a gluten-sniffing service dog book. Yes. Um, that one was... A, that one got uh, agents and editors' attention right away because it is so unusual to... Mm-hmm know about a service dog who can actually sniff gluten for somebody with severe celiac sensitivity. Um, And then it was a little bit of a harder sell because it's more of a niche story. So even though agents and authors, uh, editors were interested, they were concerned there wouldn't be enough of an audience for it. But Andrea Hall at Albert Whitman loved it and was an amazing match for it and, you know, uh, offered for it. And I've been thrilled to have worked with her and with Albert Whitman for that. Incredible. So one book with uh, Albert Whitman and one book coming out with Charles Bridge and another one coming with out. Charles and I, Bridge. Uh, yeah, and I'm going to have to interview you again. Fantastic. Um, this is, you know, this is getting to be a regular thing. <laughs> I don't mind seeing so, your face again, Mel. <laughs> you're the first person who said that in years. Um, so Karen, I want to ask you now something. So did you guys meet at Albert Whitman? How did you guys meet? Well, okay, so this is this is kind of a, like a weird story, but um, Paula Cohen Martin, who published this book, um, Big Dreams, Small Fish, um, she was in my critique group, and she was supposed to illustrate two of my books that I can't say the names for. One of them's coming out with Apples and Honey Press in 2024. Um, another one is still being worked on. She was supposed to illustrate those two books after she, she kept telling me after she was off her deadline. Um, So I had met her, I think in November, right before she passed away. She passed away, I think in February. So I met her in November to give her this really strange fish platter that she was going to bring to her book signing, which would be March 1st of 2020. And my, it was my mother's fish platter and my mother had moved and my father had moved and they were selling all their stuff. So I, I gave her this fish platter and she met me and I, and I said to her, I said, you know, we're, she had just gotten over cancer. She was in remission. And I said, are you sure you want to meet me, um, you know, in Somerville, New Jersey to give you a fish platter? Because you're like, we're right in the middle of a pandemic. And she said, Karen, I'm done with the pandemic. Let's just meet. I said, okay. So we went out to lunch. We actually went out to lunch. We went inside because it was kind of cold. It was November. And I was kind of nervous. I didn't want to get her sick, you know? So we we were talking about the fish platter. We were talking about her new book, Big Dream, Small Fish. And we were talking about how she really liked, because she was in my critique group, um, please could I use her as the illustrator for these two books that she really likes. And but she would do them after her deadline. And I think, I'm not sure, I think the deadline was the shrinking lunchroom. I'm not sure. I think I, so, yeah. 
I think this was okay. the last one that she illustrated aside from yeah, her own, I mean, the last I, complete. I kept, you know, so I, I didn't ever want to say to her, you know, hey, what's going on with the, you know, every once in a while I'd be like, hey, um, do you want to get together and talk about? <laughs> yeah, Karen, this, this, this is really, really interesting. Oh. But you oh. haven't, ex you know, we've been talking seven minutes now. Oh. And you, you haven't, exp no, on this question, and you haven't explained to me how you met Michal. Oh, oh, because because the, 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 the podcast well, oh, okay, is not I'm about sorry, sorry. It's not about fish platters, right? Okay. Although you know, so, oh, so the connection is Paula because Paula illustrated the shrinking lunchroom, and so I knew that. I don't. Did you? Did we Facebook message each other first, Mahal, or or how did when um when she passed away? I I was in touch right. with. Yeah, I was in touch with a few other people who knew Paula as well, you know, through different authors and yeah. uh, through her critique group. And I was just, Paula and I had become friends sort of behind yeah. the scenes because you're really not supposed to talk to your illustrator. Right. But we had found each other on social media and she was like, I love your writing. I'm so glad I'm doing this book. And I said, oh, I love your illustrations. I'm so glad you're doing this book. And, you know, it was a mutual love fest. And then we made fun of our kids and we made fun of our husbands and it was great. Um, sorry, but... That so so when she passed away unexpectedly, I reached out to a few of the authors that I had been in touch with, saying, "Is it true? Did this really just happen out of nowhere?" Mm -hmm. And then, um, and I knew Karen was friends with her, so we reached out as well, just to give each other support during a very difficult, sad time. And then, and, and then you discovered that you had written the same children's book. So I actually had found out about Karen's book while mine was being illustrated. I hadn't known about it until after mine was already acquired and mid illustration. And then suddenly I was like, oh, look, there's another version of the same uh, Yiddish folktale out there. Uh, there's actually, actually, there's a, oh, this is Karen Rostock of Ruber typing in. There's actually a third book. I don't remember her name, but it's called Such a Library from Intergalactic Gothi Coleman. So, um, I knew about that book. I knew about your book because of Paula. Because Paula. So, yeah, and, and, and now and now Karen oh. and, and, and Michal, I'm going to tell you that I met Julia Donaldson a few years ago. Oh, she's great. And in 1993, her first book, mm. A Squash and a Squeeze, which started her on the, her intergalactic stellar career, oh. is about the same Jewish folktale. It just, you know, it just intrigues all of us. And I, I'm betting that if we go back to the early 15th century, we'll find more. I mean, maybe they didn't belong to a CBWI, but this is a, a, a folktale that needs telling and retelling. Absolutely. Yeah. I, so, Michal, so that's, I'm going to ask you now why. Why write a, uh, maybe I'll ask Karen afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard to get hold of Julia. Uh, I would love to yeah. have her on the show. Um, so, Michal, uh, why write a story about a story that's already been in the world for several hundred years? Uh, so it started for me because we got the original one. Uh, it could always be worse. Well, not the original, but the one that's very famous. Excuse me. Um, we got it from PJ Library when my daughter was younger. And we were reading it and I was like, oh yeah, that's something I need to tell my students because I was still teaching in second grade at the time. And I thought, oh, that's funny. You know, I want to start writing. So it just felt like a natural way to go to make it in a school. And, um, I, and I had the book there. So it was a perfect, the original one, the, it could always be worse. 
So it was a great way to start learning how to create a picture book. I used it as my mentor text throughout as I was going to make okay, sure that the pacing was strong. This is, we're, I'm, I'm here on a, a roll with you now because now is the time to get your book out and to show us a spread. Okay. And, um, and um, to read to us a little bit. Um, sure. I should say, I should say that I love, I love both your versions. Uh, and um, it's, it's very original to take this story into a lunchroom at school. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes, it was. Do you remember the moment that you had this idea? Oh, I'm going to connect this busy lunchroom with the busy Jewish story. No, it actually didn't start off as a lunchroom. It started off as a classroom. Uh, because that's where I was spending my days. So I placed it in a classroom. And then at, a, I think it was, I had a, a teacher who was complaining the whole time. And then I had another SCBWI conference way back, I think it was 2016 then. And I had it critiqued then uh, by Melissa Manlove. And she said, she liked the story. She thought it was fun. She thought it was original. She did not think it was a good idea to have the teacher being the one who was complaining because, you know, a teacher doesn't want to read about themselves complaining. And I thought, you are so <laughs> true. That is exactly right. I wouldn't want to read that to my students at all. I'd be like, what? No. So, yeah, and, and I wrote it. Yeah. So no, you're a hundred percent right. So I took that back and sat with it for a while and then changed it to a lunchroom, took it out of the classrooms also so there could be more movement. Because one of the things I learned about picture books is there has to be a lot of movement on each page. And a classroom was too constricted. So I switched to a lunchroom, switched it to students, gave the principal the sort of wise person role, named her Ms. Mensch. Mrs. Mensch, yeah. Um, so can, can, can we have a little double spread of your book? Sure. So Paula's art is fabulous. And I love how diverse she made it. Um, here, this this is one of my favorites. So what happens is the classroom is so, the lunchroom is so crowded, the kids are complaining to their principal, we can't move. And so she ends up sending more things to the lunchroom to show them. Here are them bringing all their animals. The kids are bringing all the animals to the lunchroom to make it even more crowded. And then they bring the sports teams, science projects until eventually, eventually it is all chaotic chaos to the point where um frogs are sticking to science projects and sports teams are everywhere and kids are hiding under desks and it's just chaos and mayhem and you can see how diverse the students are the student body and oh there's also escaped tarantulas nobody actually knows <laughs> what happened with them but one of the kids they because they molted them. they molted they molted and then they were borrowed for nefarious purposes. I will bring them back. Exactly, exactly. I, I, did, I did read your book. Um, I really appreciate that, Mel. As, yeah, and so what I'm thinking is, you know, we've been on the air for 25 minutes and uh, we forgot to briefly say what the story is. So Karen, oh. Karen, would you briefly, not everybody this listening is Jewish, <laughs> and probably here and there is a Jew who doesn't know the story, even though I find that hard to believe. So, Karen, in a few sentences, the story and then your version, your take from 2020. Okay, so I don't know why I'm having a choking thing. So go back to. <coughs> oh, choking is bad. Sorry. I'll cover her for a second. This is Michal. 
Okay. Uh, I'm good, I'm good. Okay. okay, never mind. Back to Karen. Okay. <laughs> I, I, ch choking is very bad for vent ventriloquists. It's, it's a Yiddish folk tale about how things could always be worse. Like, <clears throat> like if you think your house is too small and you keep bringing in stuff and then it's a, it's a basically a story about perspective and being grateful for what you have and not knowing what you have until all this other stuff comes in. And then you're like, wait a second, maybe my house wasn't so crowded. It's all about perspective, I guess you can say. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, so I mean, I, I wrote the story because- um, I, I being Karen. What? Now I have to tell people that it's you, Karen. Oh, okay, it's me, For Karen. For the podcast. <laughs> okay, um, so I was actually sending this one editor a whole lot of stories and she kept liking my stories, but passing them because she had things on like it on her list or whatever. So I said to her, you know what? I can keep sending you stories and you can keep passing on them or we can talk about what you really want and what you really need. And she said, what I really want is a, is a folk tale. And I said, I could do that. So I went home and I read, well, actually I went to the library also and I read all of these folk tales I sat down with like three folktale books and I came up with, actually I wrote another one, but I came up with two folktales that I really liked. And at the time, It Could Only Be Worse was done in the 1960s or 70s. And I thought, wow, no one's redone this in a really long time. I didn't know that three of them were now going to come out at this, around the same time. So, but when I sent, but when I finally wrote it, um, And I, I don't need, it came to me at three o'clock in the morning. All I wrote was, um, I, I just wrote like four sentences and it was actually a little bit of a, I also like little bits of rhythm and rhyme. And all I wrote at three o'clock in the morning was there's no room to sit, no room to pace, no room to rest, no extra space. And I said, oh my, that's it. <laughs> so, so then I built a whole story around it and I sent it to this editor who said, You're not going to believe this, but we just acquired a book just like that. And I went, what? So, you know, because it takes a long time to write a book. It has to meld in your head. It, you know, it took like a year, I guess. And then, so I sent it to, um, Al, well, I, then I got an agent and I sent it to Karen Gorenzik. She really liked it. And we sold it to Albert Whitman. But it all began with this tiny little sticky note after reading so many of these folktales and you know at the time like I said nobody else had redone it and I said this is perfect I'll redo it I love this story I loved it when I was little and I based it in um it's a crowded farmhouse folktale and what happens is as some people know and some people don't know it's actually not that bad of a house there's a lot of kids and I put my mother and father's name in it Earl and Marge oh and I have, instead of a wise man or a rabbi, I have a wise woman in town. And the illustrator very smartly actually used what I call context clues for the kids when I'm reading it to them. Every time Farmer Earl comes in and he says, my hugely huge family is too large for our itty bitty house. She looks in her window, she must be next door, and sees that there's ducks. And she, sa and she says, put all your ducks in the house said the wise woman. And he says, how's that going to help? Wondered Farmer Earl, but he went home and he did as he was told. And I always said to the kids there, um, I like repeated refrains and there's some craziness going on when they bring the ducks. 
And then, of course, they bring in. Now she's very calm. It, it, it's it's incredible. So so thanks. I'm gonna go now back to Michal. And yeah. Michal, can you, like, can you uh, read to us some of your parallel writing? To sure. What Karen has written. Um, so I'll start with the beginning too, just because it's always better to start at the beginning. Okay. <laughs> it says. Parley Elementary had the noisiest, most cluttered lunchroom in town. It was quite possibly the noisiest, most cluttered lunchroom in the entire world. So trying to set the scene right away that- mm -hmm. Okay, can you jump now to, to Mrs. Mensch, uh, who, is the, who is also a female figure, like- Exactly, also a like female in, figure. Like, so I, you know, there's a lot of parallels here, right? Mm. There are. I think we wanted strong females to be in charge. And I named her Mrs. Mensch because even though it might seem that she's working against the students, she really loves them and is working for them so that they have lifelong perspective on that things could always be worse than to be grateful for what they have. Yeah, just, just like the rabbi in the story. I mean, he's, right. you know, he's trying to teach uh, that you can uh, always make do with what you have. Always, exactly. And coming from immigrant parents and, you know, a father who was a Holocaust survivor, I know it could always be worse. So really be grateful for what you have. Um, so I don't know if you can see this page, but also with the foreshadowing, you can see Paula put a, a little NASA snow, snow globe here to show that that's the principal's inspiration for bringing in the science projects into the lunchroom to make it more crowded. And then behind her are the frogs which is the inspiration for later on to bring in all the animals in the school to make the lunchroom more crowded. And there is also a scene where the principal is throwing, oh, here. She's eating her apple. Each scene she's eating something throughout the day starts with coffee, then goes to her sandwich, then an apple. Um, I was really hungry when I was writing. <laughs> and you can see here at the end, she's, eating her apple and she throws it through a basketball hoop into the garbage and uh, my editors and I were debating how do we foreshadow that she has the idea to bring sports teams into the lunchroom you know she's a principal she's probably not going to be out dunking basketballs uh, so we said you know she's dunking apple cores in her room into the garbage she might be dunking donuts by the way, yeah, so. she might be dunking donuts and maybe she is dunking basketballs I don't want to stereotype Ms. Minch Exactly. So, so listen. This book comes out in uh, July. July this and, summer. And uh, uh, Charles Bridge, and uh, people should buy it. Um, yes, I, please. I, 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 yeah, I don't. I don't believe also also to buy Karen's book, which is out for a couple of years. Absolutely. Uh, but, but maybe it's doing very well without my pushing it. Um, ha having said that, it's very interesting because um, I teach my beginners to write a humorous and engaging story. Uh, and, and leave the moral somewhere far behind. Yes, and I try to usually, except for this is all about the moral, which is so funny. Yeah, so a few words about that from, from Michal and then from Actually, Karen. oh, can... No, I, from my, Michal and then, yes. Okay. This so is this now is Karen, Karen speaking. Okay. Yes. Uh, this is Karen Rosler-Gruber speaking again. Um, actually, I, like Michal, I don't actually ever say what the um, little moral of the story is the kids have to figure it out on their own and they do and they can. And um, I just use a lot of little bit of rhythm and rhyme and, and stuff like that and to ease their way into figuring out what the story is about being grateful for what you have. But what I wanted to say was, I think Michelle and I did this really well. Um, we wanted, I mean, I did. I mm -hmm. took out- you're, And you're, you're saying this in a very humble manner. <laughs> I, 
I took out all the Yiddish and the rabbi. I wanted everybody in the whole wide world to be able to enjoy the story, not just Jewish children. So I took out all the rabbis and the Yiddish and all and everything like that. Um, but it is based on a Yiddish folktale. And I actually the one second. not this do is, exactly this. This is Michal. Thing. Michal oh, Babai going to speak, yes. This is Michal. I did similar in the fact that I put it in a modern, you know, lunchroom and with modern mm -hmm. kids. But I specifically did ask that there be um, positive Jewish representation in the illustrations as well. That's mm -hmm. one of the things I ask for in all of my books, no matter what, because mm -hmm. there's so few positive Jewish right. representations, just casual, you know, like a, a kippah or a Jewish star or even a mezuzah on the door just something to say hey you know we are diverse and we're here and it's wonderful and that's not the point of the story it's just so mm -hmm. paula did um completely diverse cast of kids which is wonderful but i did keep it ms mensch specifically to keep it with the yiddish theme and then my illust my editors asked that i write the author's note afterwards just um for people who were upset with the principal for not stepping in and making things automatically better, which, mm -hmm. you know, is great in an ideal world, but that's not how real life works. You don't get to just wave a magic wand, and especially in a school. So um, our time is running out and um, this has been wonderful. Um, and I, I think that this is what, sometimes there's a, a picture book that teaches things to, to us, to, to, to writers to authors. And I think that these stories, both of yours, teach something to the authors. What, what would that be? I Karen, think, I'll let you go first. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay, this is Karen Rostick. Remember answering Mel's question? Um, I think it's that you can um, take a story and very a lot of different authors have different takes on the same story. And even though you know, so a lot of stories come out at the same time. Like I remember Nancy Chernin and Leslie Kimmelman both came out with an Irving Berlin story. And I, you know, it's kind of like, oh no, but, but it's not. They're both completely different. And like what Michelle and I did, they're both completely different. So, but it's the same, based on the same story, but people can have different takes. And don't worry if you're writing a story that sounds the same as somebody's because it's not going to be the same. You're not the same person. Yes, I, this is Michal. I agree with everything Karen said. You have a different voice, you have a different perspective, talking about perspectives. And I think it was um, Elizabeth Gilbert in Big Magic, one of my favorite writing books. She talks about how ideas are floating through the air and you need to grab them. And sometimes they go to different people at the same time and you grab them and you create them into books in different ways. And that's okay. There's room for all the books. Actually, I think they enhance each other. You could do a great teaching unit with all the different versions of the book, the story. Okay, and I'm going to take this to another place. It's like a reader response, you know, where you ask a question, you get multiple answers. You write a story and you get multiple interpretations. Exactly. So there's a lesson for us too, mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we have this habit. If you have one book out, you want to have more. If you have three books out, you want to have a dozen. If you have a dozen, yeah. you want to have 25. Uh, and we also have to learn, uh, you know, Julie Headland was on the uh, podcast last year. And she said something, she said something so important. She said, you know, we're always thinking we're here. We want to go there. You know, I have three books, but I want to have 13 books. Exactly. This is a good lesson for me now. Yes. Yes, Michal. I don't know why I mentioned the number three. Um, so, and I also, you know, I, I, have, I have my first traditionally published book coming out next Yay! week. 
And I'm saying, Ooh, yeah, thank Yay. you. And 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 um, I'm saying, oh, just one. <laughs> so we we're all guilty of the same mishigas, which goes back to your stories, which is you know you have to be super thankful, right? To be a a, a, a lucky. To yeah. to to have somebody acknowledge your your writing, mm-hmm. and and um, and not to be um, not to be like Earl or uh, or the students, uh, and 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 to quote Julie Headland, um, she says as writers and maybe as human beings we're always there, we just don't realize that it's not from going from here to there. We're always in a there. We just have to acknowledge that we are there. That's so true. It's yeah. this is Michal. Yes, that's very, very true. And uh, we really learned that after my daughter's um, illness and depression, which resulted from the illness. And, you know, now we're back here every day. I am grateful whether, you know, whether I'm tripping over the dog or, you know, slamming into the door, running and doing things. I still am really grateful every day for just people's health, mental, physical, for where I am and definitely for the books. It's, it's a huge blessing. And, Although it does inspire me to keep going. Right. Well, keep going is great. Mm-hmm. But we also have to spend like a few milliseconds a day being grateful that we are where we are. Absolutely. And in that context, I'm going to tell you and the readers, the readers, the readers. Yeah, the readers who are listening. Readers and listeners. Yeah. The readers and the um, viewers. <laughs> how, how lucky I am to interview wonderful authors like you both. And... Um, I'm going to thank you separately. So, Michal Babai, uh, your incredible shrinking lunchroom, this marvelous book, uh, illustrated by Paula Cohen, and they were remembering her again, uh, which is coming out just next month. Yes. And so a huge mazel tov. Uh, and we, we want to be generic. So um, uh, congratulations. Uh, thank you. I will take it in every language. <laughs> and uh, may this be the second of many. Amen. Okay, and uh, Karen Rostoker-Gruber, who has already published 16 stories with more on the way. Uh, And and your book from 2020 is called? A Crowded Farmhouse Folktale. Congratulations. Also a wonderful book, which you should buy if you haven't already. And uh, thank you, wonderful ladies, for being on this podcast, the New Books Network podcast, and this is Mel Roseberg, the host of the Children's Literature Channel. I got it right finally. <laughs> Saying thank you very, very much. And uh, everybody, if you haven't bought a picture book this week, run out and buy a couple. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Mel, so much for having us on. Bye. Oh, my great pleasure. This was a joy. I'm going to run now and write a story based on the folktale. About a shrinking podcast? I have no idea. Maybe a shrinking head of hair. I haven't figured it out yet. (laughs) Maybe a limerick. It's been great, folks. Big fan of limericks. Bye. Bye.